We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Last Dadley. <laughs> I think everybody last Dadley. I think KO called it out. He's like, yo. I don't know what he said, but he said something to where he's like, you know, this is the lineup to like, we could switch one, like the athletic like lineup type stuff. There's an upside on us, and you know, we can rebound, and go out one through five, stuff like that. So that lineup is pretty, you know, locked in. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast brought to you by Untuck It. My name is Mike V. Hill. I'm here, of course, with the other host of this podcast, Sam Cooper. Sam, how are you doing? Pretty good, Mike. Two and one last week went technically, the Suns. Technically a win streak, right? A win Two streak. Two games is a streak. As, as is delineated in my Twitter handle now. Not my handle. <laughs> That's my right. That's right. Uh, the Suns got rid of the Baton lineup and subsequently won two games. That seems like it's slight, at least slightly related, maybe not uh, totally related. I think more than anything else, uh, what I've noticed over the last two games is a renewed effort on the defensive end of the floor. And I think that was the main thing. But it's kind of still nice to see the, the Baton lineup gone, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's kind of funny because, you know, some weeks if the Suns go 2-1, and one, we come on this, on this podcast and we're like screaming and we're really excited. You know, if they just beat Philly, they, you know, kept it close against Denver, they beat LA, you know, the types of things that were happening early on in the season. This week, it's like you scored 98 points against Orlando and 100 points against Charlotte, <laughs> but but you got away with it. So we got some stuff we can talk about here. You know, obviously, um, there are a lot of aspects of this team right now that are not flawless. Um so, yeah, we, we, we have some stuff to unpack. But bottom line, it's definitely good just to get some wins and, and get a little bit back closer to 500 because that's where we want to be. Yes, yeah, so some wins and, you know, and we're going to get into all of this, I'm sure. But also, Aiton was playing pretty well, I think, in this stretch. Uh, outside of a single game for Devin Booker, one of the best stretches of his career for the last uh, few weeks. Obviously, he had the, the seven games in a row of 30 or more points. And uh, some excellent passing and just really understanding his effect on the game. I think that's a big part of why he's played so well. And also, uh, Baines has started to play a little better, I think. And I think part of that is uh, not having both Aiton and Baines on the floor. Uh, To get to it, the starting lineup is now Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, uh, Kelly Oubre, Dario Saric back. And instead of it being with uh, DeAndre Aiton, which is what I expected... It is now with Aaron Baines in the starting lineup. Aiton has kind of become like a sixth man. It's hard to really describe that. Not a lot of sixth men are, uh, you know, usually in in the typical sense, that's a guard. You know, Montrezl Harrell is an example of like a a big man who comes onto the floor and scores a lot. 
for the Clippers, but Aiton's kind of different, especially with his um, offense not really being there so far. It's not just, I think, that he is now coming off the bench. He's also getting less minutes, something that I didn't really expect. They're only playing with one center on the floor at a time, staggering the minutes between uh, Aiton and Baines, so no minutes together. Uh, how do you feel about this new starting lineup? Uh, I sure, I'm sure we both have some thoughts on this, but how do you feel about it? Yeah, I think it's pretty good, um, or at least I think it's better. And I think ultimately it's good that Monty is at least holding himself accountable um, and seems, you know, the the Aiden Baines lineup wasn't awful. I talked about this last week. You know, net rating-wise, it was okay. I just don't think it was sustainable long-term, and I think it's good that Monty Williams now recognizes that. Similarly, it's not sustainable long-term to bring DeAndre Aiden off the bench as your sixth man. You're basically kind of punting on what you did with the number one overall pick at that point. I think it makes sense right now for a number of reasons we can go into, just kind of as a band-aid to fix uh, the lack of production that the Suns are getting when their top scorer, particularly uh, Devin Booker, but some other top scorers as well, are off the floor. So it makes sense right now to bring DeAndre Ayton uh, off the bench and, and kind of playing him as a sixth man and see what you can get out of him in that role. Uh, ultimately, though, DeAndre Ayton has to be your starting center going forward. He is the building bro- uh, block of your franchise, and you're building around him and Devin Booker. Um, so I do hope that eventually we get back to that lineup. For now, though, against this kind of weaker... Uh, slate of Eastern Conference opponents, uh, this lineup is serviceable. Yeah, a few, maybe like a month and a half ago, back when the Suns were good, uh, (laughs) I on a podcast said that when Aiton was back, maybe the Suns should continue to start Baines because of maximizing the minutes that Baines and Booker have together. Uh, Baines has a positive offensive effect on Devin Booker's game. Devin Booker seems to be playing well with either guy right now. It doesn't really seem to matter. Uh, but also, Baines stopped making threes. He he really still is not really making threes. But he's still good. I think he blows up more pick and rolls than DeAndre Ayton. He can still be attacked by guys that are really fast, and it's difficult for him to recover uh, helped on help defense for, for like guys, guards that are really fast. That, that That's where he struggles, somewhere where Ayton is actually uh, pretty good. Uh, but Booker and Aiton are still playing. I looked it up. The last two games, they played 38 minutes together. I wanted to know how much they were playing. Uh, I'm sorry, Booker and Aiton in the last two games, they played 38 minutes together combined. Uh, so that's about half of the minutes that Devin Booker is on the floor. They have a plus 20 net rating in that time. That means nothing after two games. But the point is, it's not bad. Uh, it's good that it wasn't bad. Plus 20, that's all about opponent over the opponents over the course of two games. But uh, I do think that it's important to look at that even in small sample sizes, just to understand if it's going well or not. So I think it's still good that Booker and Aiton are playing together because I don't think that Aiton has a lot of chemistry with Ricky Rubio just yet. I think that's still sort of, <laughs> it's looked better over the last game or two. Uh, but Booker and Aiton really, those are the only two guys that have chemistry together as far as DeAndre Aiton and a teammate. As we know, Kelly Oubre does not pass. <laughs> so oh, you can't really expect that to happen. That's still a thing. It's still a thing, and, and for as good as he's been, he's and we're going to talk good. about that, he's of course. Been very good, yeah. He still doesn't pass. If he could pass, that's a max player. I mean, if he you, might be a max player without it, but if he could pass, he might be a, a superstar. If, if, if Kelly Oubre could pass with all the other things he's doing right now, people would be talking about him like they're talking about, you know, Brandon Ingram, maybe, as like a rising, right. this guy's potentially a superstar in another year. Um, right. Kelly Oubre can't pass. And so we're, we're not really framing him right. in that sort of conversation, but we'll frame him in, in some other conversations. I've got some other comparisons we can throw out for Kelly Oubre later. Um, but yeah. yeah, to your original point, Ricky Rubio, I think, has had uh, a few decent pick and roll possessions with DeAndre Ayton. But for the most part, this is kind of on DeAndre, too, is that he looks awkward on offense. You know, he continues to settle for those mid-range shots. Um, And the Suns' offense in general, when Devin Booker leaves the floor, is predicated so much on these mid-range shots. Not only from DeAndre Ayton, but also Ricky Rubio continues to take those left-leaning long twos. Tyler Johnson, Mm -hmm. whenever he comes on the floor, you know, I've been waiting Mm -hmm. because it's been like 30 games now. I've been waiting for the Tyler Johnson game because I know the talent is deep down in there somewhere. Uh, you know, there is a reason that he was paid $19 million, but we just haven't seen the, the Tyler Johnson. <laughs> no, there wasn't. <laughs> we, we haven't seen the Tyler. Yeah, it's kind of how I felt like a couple years ago with Brandon Knight. When Brandon Knight lost all of his basketball ability, it was like, well, I know there is a reason, you know, you almost made the all-star team in the Eastern Conference 
uh, a couple years ago talking about Brandon Knight. Uh, you have to have a good performance in you somewhere in there. Like one of these days you're going to give us 30 or 40 points when we need it and you're just going to go off. And I've been hoping for the same thing from Tyler Johnson. It hasn't happened. Um, but his offense is very much just those mid-range shots. So the offense in general when Devin Booker comes off the floor, and I've, I've been talking about this a lot on Twitter, is a disaster. Um, and that's kind of why we see DeAndre Ayton in a sixth-man role in the first place. Problem is, it's on DeAndre to be aggressive. It's on DeAndre to get the ball at the elbow um, and force his way to the free-throw line a little bit more and, and kind of do in the post what he did to guys like Cody Zeller yesterday. You know, put a spin move on him, maybe tuck your elbow in a little bit and hope you don't get called for an offensive foul there, uh, but put a spin move on, do some nasty work in the post and get closer to the rim uh, where the real efficient shots are going to come from. It really is like two different players when he's focused on doing that and when he's not. Uh, it, it changes everything about the game. And I think so much of it is a mindset thing because they want to give him that mid-range shot so he catches the ball there and he's open. So uh, the mindset has to be, I still have room to attack. That's sort of a Kelly Oubre mindset, except that uh, DeAndre Ayton has insane touch. He can get he can get so many different types of shots up close to the basket. Just quickly, on I just want to say about Tyler Johnson getting more minutes recently, and it seems like Monty talked about it. He mentioned that he was struggling to find the right rotations. He put a lot of blame on himself, and he said that he just needed to decide which guys are getting minutes, and and that seems to be off the bench for guard positions. That's Elia Kobo, and it's Tyler Johnson. So we finally have. Uh, what can be considered a point guard and a shooting guard coming off the bench. It's not just sort of one guard sharing duties with Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker, and then that guard changing every other game. Something that was frustrating for us to cover, and I think now we know uh, something that bothered Monty Williams as well. Tyler Johnson, I think, is still earning those minutes. He's still not He's not good on offense. He's uh, Something happened to him. It's very bizarre. But he still gives a lot of effort on defense. And I think that's the main reason that he continues to share uh, the floor and actually get some minutes on this team. He scraps, he fights on defense. And the other thing offensively, maybe he's not hitting shots, but he makes quick decisions. And that's that 0.5 mentality that seems to be slowly uh, leaving this team. And if he continues to make those quick decisions, uh, he'll continue to get those minutes. And that scrappy defense is, is a plus there as well. Now, I do want to ask you though, I don't believe now. If you if we were to ask Monty Williams and people have, why is Baines starting? <laughs> He's going to say, "Well, DeAndre Ayton is is going to stabilize our bench. He's a starter level player, and he said all these things. And we want him to help stabilize that bench unit that's struggling without Devin Booker on the floor. Yada yada yada." I don't I don't believe that. I, I just don't believe it. I think it's there's something more there. Why do you think Baines is still starting? on this team what what do you and i think it's a coaching thing right i think it's it's a message he's trying to send i think it's whatever baines is doing right in monty's eyes compared to what Aiton maybe wasn't doing right in monty's eyes and maybe it's entirely because of the bench thing but i I just have i I struggle to Aiton's playing well right now i struggle to believe that he should be a bench player so what do you think it is well first of all monty's been uh, obviously one of the closest guys to aaron baines all season long which means baines earned uh, a lot of respect when the suns opened up seven and four Um, And so deep down, Monty probably believes that, you know, a lot of that talent, however much Baines has regressed to this point, that all of that can come back and that if he's just starts shooting 35, 40, 45 percent, whatever, um, from long range again, uh, that the Suns can get back to their original defensive scheme and maybe start blowing out some good teams again. Who knows? But also just I think DeAndre um, has shown great strides defensively, and we'll talk about that, too. Uh, yet for all of that, you know, sometimes there's still a motor issue with DeAndre and there's still a communication issue. Um, and for all of Baines's kind of athletic struggles, um, he's a very good communicator on defense. And I think that's something that coaches in particular really highly value out of their starting lineup um, and out of their starting caliber players in general is being able to entrust that level of communication between a veteran like Ricky Rubio at the point guard position um, and a back end defender and enforcer in Aaron Baines. Um, just, you know, Monty Williams, I'm sure, goes into every game with just those two um, being surrounded by maybe other iffy defenders like Devin Booker and Dario Saric, but he's confident in the defensive abilities um, of those two. And maybe that's futile a little bit because Baines's defensive stats have honestly been so-so this season and have regre- uh, regressed quite a bit from the beginning of the season. But I still believe being a veteran 
you know, coming from a series of championship caliber programs that he's played for um, and having that uh, reputation for being such a phenomenal communicator. All of that stuff goes in Aaron Baines's favor. I think it's nice to use a lot of the sort of at rim shooting percentage shot defense stats, the, the percentages of opponents field goals near the rim and those types of things when players are on the floor like uh, Baines and Aiton. But I think Baines is the type of player where those stats don't say everything. He's such a massive body on pick and rolls that it just it's a deterrent in general. And it's hard to use those stats uh, to really define uh, what he does uh, defensively for Baines. And I think Aiton is a little different because Aiton's his ability on defense. And we should talk about Aiton right now, actually. Sure. His ability on defense is more related to his speed and his agility for his size it's it's something that you just don't see very often and his ability to catch up to guys recover get up real high uh, just be a big body with long arms that's the type of things that makes him good let's talk about him deandre Ayton has now played nine games which is insane right because we're so far into the season he's still only played nine games we still have not hit the double digit mark for deandre Ayton in games played he's averaging 15 11 and 2 He's basically playing around 30 minutes a game, which is about the same as last year. Um, A big important stat for him. His blocks have gone up from less than 1, 0.9 to 1.6. A big difference here. Obviously, we talk about him every week. I've sort of been afraid to make any sort of declarations because we need to see more games. But how are you feeling about DeAndre Ayton so far? And then I'll talk about how I feel. Uh, Do you want me to focus on one side? Do you want me to focus on overall... You know what? E- either either one. I think the the conversation. I think we know a little bit of how it's going to go based on just even how we've talked yeah, about him so far. Look, offense versus defense. If you've been watching the get, and especially if you listen to this podcast and you hear us talk about DeAndre Ayton more or less every week, and you've been watching the games, you know that things haven't changed so much for him. I think defensively, he's showing a, a lot of promise. It's really important that his block rate is up. Because to succeed, you can succeed from the center position in the NBA without blocks, but you can't be like a cornerstone piece. Uh, you know, if you're blocking one shot per game as a center, I really don't believe that you can. You could be like a serviceable role player, um, but DeAndre Ayton needed to start blocking more shots, and his weak side defense um, and rim protection needed to improve. And we've seen that so far, and that's very important. And he's been very good in recent games. You know, you can sort of see. A lot of the reasons why Monty was comfortable playing him at the four, maybe that wasn't the right decision, um, but his foot speed on the perimeter has been very good. And now that he's transitioned back to playing the five, Monty still has him trapping on side pick and roll uh, plays from the opposition um, or or not, you know, necessarily trapping, but hard hedging. Yeah, no. Yeah, hard, hard yes. hedging and then recovering back. Um, and so clearly Monty has entrusted him to be a big body um, and, and just an imposing presence on those plays, but also that requires tremendous foot speed to go and, and kind of hedge on a guy um, and then run back and recover onto onto your guy um, wherever he is, you know, kind of underneath the rim. So I think overall defensively, DeAndre Aiden has been much better. Still some some issues with his motor. Offensively, there have been issues. Um, I think you, you just kind of need him to focus on the pick and roll um, and in transition. And that has to be his bread and butter at this point. And you can kind of give him some... Uh, uh, some opportunities in the post too, but I almost don't want to give him too many post touches if all he's going to do is these kind of 15 foot instant turnaround fadeaway jumpers. You know, like if I'm going to give him a post up, I want him to actually post up and I want him to to make a few strides towards the basket and exert a little bit of energy into it and ultimately have one of his feet touch the inside of the paint. Um, and then do a spin move or whatever he needs to do, you know, force his way to the free throw line if he has to. But, you know, when you give him an elbow touch or a paint touch, and the first thing that he does is immediately you see a turnaround jumper go up, that's just bad offense in the NBA in 2020, and we know that to be a fact, regardless of what some basketball analysts say. Um, So that's that's basically how I feel about DeAndre Aiden at this point. Obviously, I want him to shoot threes eventually. Um, It... You know, I'm going to be really, really excited when he ultimately does shoot his first legitimate three of the season. It hasn't happened yet. But if there's anything I really... Next, next season when he shoots a three, right? <laughs> I'm hoping it's going to be at some point this season, dude. I'm, I'm really hoping uh, that we, we start to see him let it fly. But for all of the practice shots and all of the videos posted on Twitter of him and shoot around taking those shots, he just doesn't seem comfortable doing it yet for whatever reason. Um, and, and yeah, that's that's just kind of funny. 
um, sometimes when you watch it. But right now, uh, for him to be a major presence offensively just requires him working the pick and roll. Who better to do that with than Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker? Um, And transition. He really needs to improve his motor, improve his conditioning, and he should be able to do that now that he's coming off the bench and is playing slightly uh, less minutes um, and get his ass down the floor as fast as possible every time because we've seen in some amazing highlight plays and a few breakaway dunks that he's had um, and alley-oops that he's had in limited action this season that when he gets down the floor quickly, um, the playmakers on this team will reward him. So if DeAndre Ayton wants to get up to, you know, say 20 points per game, that's how he's going to do it right now until he develops that shot a little bit more. I think that through nine games... I think it would almost be insincere to say that he's been an average defender. I think he's been an above average defender. Now, he's got flaws, and his flaws are like these glaring flaws. I think that when he defends one action, he tends to sort of get fall asleep a little bit. And I think I I, I sort of realized watching this last game uh, that a big issue for him, and one of the reasons I think that Monty actually wanted to do the the Baton lineup with Baines uh, is because Baines is a communicator on defense. He he is willing to shout at someone when they're a little out of position. One thing that Aiton said after a game is is he feels like Baines knows his assignments more than he does. Yeah, that was a stupid um, thing to say. That was just Aiton yeah, being Aiton, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that I think that a lot of Aiton's quotes we can hear the coaching in them, right? We can we can hear what the what the uh, the coaching staff is saying to him, hey, listen to Baines. He's going to shout at you. Because when you, there was a specific play I posted on Twitter where he jumped out at a guy, uh, a guard who was cutting in. Somebody on the perimeter lost his man. He jumped out, tried to defend, and then just sort of stood there. And I think if Baines was on the floor, he would have said, hey, there's a, there's a guy wide open right behind you. Just turn around and grab him. Obviously, in probably less and more Australian-sounding words, uh, but he would have shouted at him to find his man. And I think a, a big thing is the position that's usually the, sort of the point guard of the defense is the center position, but that's not Aiton right now. It's not. He can do a lot of things, but he's not going to be the guy that's communicating to everybody else. He needs to focus on what his role is. And a lot of times on defense, that will mean when he defends one action, just find a body anyone literally anyone near you and then hope that other people sort of rotate around to the guy that's that's missing missing on, on the perimeter or wherever it is uh because he just needs to find a body he's big and he can defend but you can't leave someone wide open when you just go after a block but even having said all of that his ability to help has been huge he has become somewhat of a rim protector he can still get a little lost in the pick and roll. And like I said, there's the defending multiple actions that he struggles with. But the fact that he is a big body near the rim without really fouling that much. I think he got his first foul in the game yesterday in the third quarter. He's not really fouling. He's contesting without it. And I think that's the most important thing that we need to see from him. When you have guys like Devin Booker on the perimeter and even Ricky Rubio, for all he's good at, point guards are so fast now. They're going to get on the other side of Ricky Rubio, and DeAndre Ayton needs to be there. Uh, so so on defense, even with his glaring flaws, the ones that are obvious, I think he's improved. He's doing pretty well. I think he's doing kind of what you want from a second-year big man um, who's not like Mitch Robinson from, from, the, uh, from the Knicks. Like That's just kind of he's doing really well, uh, and I think he can develop. And I think if this is where he's at after nine games, I got to give credit to Monty Williams and his coaching staff for that because I think they're saying the right things to him to get him in the right position. And over time, he can watch film of him missing a guy on the second or a third action or whatever it is later later in the shot clock and realize how important that is when you are in close games. Those actions are what win the game. And I just agree with you. I, th- I don't think there's a lot to say on his offense so far. I think that some of it is on Monty. Some of it is on Ricky. They just need to find the right chemistry. But I think... I'm still not overly worried about it. I think that they are saying the right things to him. Uh, just based on his quotes after the game, he says, you know what, I need to roll more. He said that right after we talked about how he needs to roll more. He talked about it in a post-game interview, and I think that shows that the coaching staff is in his ear saying, hey, you can't just set a screen and stand there. you got to get to the rim as quickly as possible. And I think the other thing is the, the mid-range jump shots 
it seems to be going down game by game. And we'll see if that's that's a trend that continues. You know, if if it's if if he's on for mid range, then he can fire away. But I just hope that's not something that he just tries to do often. So I think overall, I'm pretty happy with where he is. And it's odd that he's coming off the bench, and I don't really care about that as long as we're getting the right sort of lineups. And, and I think the right lineups are with Mikhail Bridges and Kelly Oubre as much as possible with them, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. So overall, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with him I'm, after nine games. I'm pretty pleased too, you know, just about whether or not we care about him coming off the bench. That's kind of out of his hand. Well, it's not out of his hands because if he really starts to outplay Aaron Baines, um, you know, and, and looks like a star, then at a certain point, Monty needs to start him. But what they're doing right now you know, kind of the opinion I've come to at this point, given the wins the Suns have had this week, is just that the Suns look really strong uh, with their top five or six guys. Those top five or six guys are never all on on the same night. They never all have a good game at the same time. You know, Kelly <laughs> Oubre is in the midst of his the best stretch of his career. Devin Booker had seven straight 30-plus point games. Meanwhile, Ricky Rubio hasn't scored more than 11 points since December. You know, he's really struggled on offense recently. DeAndre Ayton has had some of his offensive struggles. Aaron Baines can't hit threes. Dario Saric has been in and out of the rotation. So if the Suns can ever get to this point, you know, credit to James Jones for bringing in uh, enough veterans because last year would have been like we were confident in two or three players on the entire roster. This year I can say I'm confident in six. But those six guys are never all clicking at the same time. So theoretically, if those six guys all click in the same game, watch out. Because that's a game where the Suns could beat the Lakers. They could beat the Bucks. They could beat, you know, yeah. the best teams in the NBA. Realistically, <laughs> what we're seeing right now is that in each and every game, they have maybe three or four guys who click on any given night. And what that leads to is massive lineup imbalances, uh, which leads to things falling apart when your best players come off the floor, like we've seen yeah. with Devin Booker in the last couple of weeks. So I think ultimately DeAndre Ayton coming off the bench is just Monty's response to that. And it's kind of out of DeAndre's hands. James Jones needs to go out and get more talent. You know, not to harp on it too much, but like theoretically, if the Suns had Danilo Gallinari on this current roster and just added that one more score that you can kind of have some confidence in, it doesn't have to be Gallo. There's there's a number of guys, um, but just a player like that, you could start to have a lot more faith in this team. But right now, they're just not deep enough. You know, they are not a deep enough team to beat uh, good teams, and that reflects yeah. in their record yeah. against teams that are above five hundred. You know they can two and thirteen, two and thirteen, and I'm glad I'm glad you happen to have that stat up because we didn't plan to talk about this specifically. But they're two and thirteen against teams above five hundred. So yes, they can struggle to get wins against teams like the Magic and teams, uh, uh, you know, like the Hornets, and they have the Knicks and the Hawks coming up this week, and hopefully they can win two more games there as well. But, you know, when push comes to shove and they need to beat playoff teams in order to scrap their way into the seventh or eighth seed in the Western Conference, uh, they need some more depth because they're just not there yet, and the offense has really struggled in, in a number of areas. Yeah, and I think to your point about them not really all having great games in the same game, I think a lot of that has to do, not a lot of it, but some of that has to do with the fact that there's been inconsistent rotations. And I think that's why it's important that Monty Williams pointed that out. If a player doesn't know what the, when they're going to be playing or, or, or what their role is within the game that they're playing, it's going to be difficult to play well. And I think this is why I'm not overly concerned about Aiton coming off the bench. If he settles on rotations where Aiton understands, I come off the bench, but I close the first half and then I close the second half, and I know who I'm going to be playing with depending on the matchups for those times of the game, then I know what my role is. And uh, so I think that going forward, if he sticks to a rotation like he's saying he's going to, I think that's going to make a difference. So uh, let's take a quick break and we have a lot more to talk about coming up. Ever see an untucked button down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. They fit very well no matter what you look like. And remember, no matter your size, big or small, it looks better when your clothes fit you. You can choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. 
With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use the code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. All right, a quick cold take of the week this week. Something that came up today that I just I couldn't avoid talking about this. <laughs> I texted Sam and I was like, "Hey, we got we got to mention this." Uh, Valley of the Suns or or Boomer of the Suns, which is what I'm calling them uh, now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, they posted an article which I did not click, and I <laughs> and I recommend that you do not click it because this is the type of thing that they, they it's like hate clicks. They they want you to click it just because it's awful, and that's not a good enough reason to click it. They can't sell ads for me hating what they're doing. I'm not going to give them the opportunity to do that. So in their defense, maybe they wrote something really funny in there and I didn't see it. But the headline of the article was uh, Andre Drummond, something to the effect of Andre Drummond is up for grabs and the Suns should trade for him right now. That is dumb. <laughs> that is a dumb, that is a dumb idea. The future of this franchise rests on the gigantic shoulders of a number one overall pick who happens to play the center position, which is the position that Andre Drummond currently plays. And I do want to say, Andre Drummond is good. He's good at basketball. He's gotten better at shooting free throws. I think that was a massive, massive flaw in his game. He's one of the best rebounders in the history of the NBA, just statistically. And he is effective, albeit limited, offensively. Effective. He can set screens. He can run to the rim. And he's trying to shoot threes now, which I think is fun. One, but he's one a for center. 20 this season, in case you <laughs> wanted the stats. Oh on that. my God. Thank you for that. Yep. What do you think about this? Well, yeah, it's dumb. I, I wish you wouldn't, you know, so strongly burn bridges for us <laughs> the way you opened <laughs> it. But I guess some, you know, aren't worth it. And I don't know if I'm associated in this or not in the Bright Side Valley of the Sun's Wars. Um, Oh yeah, you no, know, yeah, they already hate you, I guess. Yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't tried Jesus. I haven't you're wearing tried the to wrong be, colors. But, yeah, wearing the wrong shades of purple and orange. No, I mean, look, we all hated the Baines. We didn't all hate the Baines Aiden experiment, but we we all disliked, I think, the Baines Aiden experiment. So why do you think Aiden and and Drummond would work unless you were going to trade DeAndre Aiden for Andre Drummond? Again, I didn't click the article either, so I don't know exactly what they were going for. I assumed they weren't going to trade Aiden. Um, yeah, it just kind of doesn't make sense. I don't think we got to waste too much of our breath on this one. It's just, uh, you know, there are a lot of out there trade proposals this time of the year and, and a lot of people looking for clicks. This Andre one, Drummond. This one doesn't make sense. Andre Drummond is a great he's, player. Yeah, he's fine. Do, do you think, he's also a free agent. He's also a free yeah, first agent of all, after First of all, season. he's also a free agent. Well, I will say, Andre Drummond, uh, you know, a lot of times, because the other thing, devil's advocate a little bit, Suns fans always shoot down anyone that comes up in trade rumors, you know, so it is nice. Like one of the clear knocks on uh, a player like Blake Griffin who comes up or or Kevin Love when those types of players comes up is, well, oh, they're uh, injury prone and they missed a lot of games. Andre Drummond is an Iron Man and he plays, you know, 78, 79, 80 games every single season. That's cool. Um, But yeah, obviously just not a very good fit for the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, doesn't work. Let's get Do you think I so I'm sorry, I got oh, one more no, question. Go I don't want to end this real quick. Do you think Andre Drummond, if he doesn't develop his offensive game, which is kind of maybe a little bit worse than no. what what? <laughs> where do you, where, I just know where you're going with no, this. No, 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 no. De- I don't want to trade for DeAndre Dr- Um, so, Fuck. I don't want to trade for Andre Drummond. <laughs> do you think Andre Drummond, though, can be the starting center and like one of the best teams on a championship team? One of the best players on a championship team. Sorry. So that's that's an interesting question. One of the issues with Andre Drummond and trying, and this is a tangent, and, and sorry, I know it's not about the Suns, but hey, you're already this far into the podcast. What are you going to do, turn it off? Uh, <laughs> the, one of the issues with Andre Drummond and building a team around Andre Drummond is that he wants to get paid. 
And if you just dedicate that level of your, your salary cap to a center, they have to be the best or the second best player on your team. And I just can't imagine a guy whose number one overall skill is rebounding being the best or second best player on your team. You really need a guy who can be super, super effective offensively to the point of creating their own shot. And that's not something that he's really mm, capable of doing. They, that's they have to be, They have to be like Joel Embiid. That's, they have to be what we want. DeAndre Ayton to be capable it of creating. It's it's a fact. Well, I was going to say whole, this is the whole I, debate of Luca versus. Aiden I was going to say, and I you know I don't want to get anyone salty here, but the critiques, it doesn't matter what you say. People get salty if DeAndre Ayton at age twenty six is what Andre Drummond currently is at age twenty six. Right. Uh, that's not <laughs> that's not very good. That's not good no, news not. at all. Yeah. Uh, so he, this he, is one of the criticisms be, you know? of DeAndre Ayton is that he'll be a player like this. Well, I mean, first of all, DeAndre is a better free throw shooter than Andre Drummond. 100%. Just, 100%. just period. And that, period. that makes a huge difference on its own. And yes, Andre Drummond has had uh, some successful stretches of his career in free throw shooting. Last year he was okay. This year he's okay. But it's just not, it's not quite the same. And I think just footwork, speed, agility... I mean, DeAndre Ayton has all of that on him. Yeah, they're, they're, different, they're him. different types of players. For sure. Yeah. I agree. So, you know, I, yeah, but I get what you're saying. And it's the conundrum of building around a center uh, just in general. You know, I, I'll be honest. I, I'm having a blast watching Philadelphia without Joel Embiid. <laughs> they're not as good. You know, their ceiling is lower. But there's something just more fluid about the team in general when watching that. But, you know, that's, that's a conundrum with having a star player. You can say the same thing. Like if, if James Harden was injured uh, for the Rockets, they'd probably be a lot more fluid looking, but not necessarily a better team. So, <laughs> Um, you know, just an interesting, interesting conversation there. Let's switch over now to player of the week. All right, player of the week. Sam, why don't you go first? All right, so my player of the week is a guy that I've given player of the week to, I think, basically every week, and that's Kelly Oubre <laughs> again. He's uh, earned for, it. Yeah, man, he's fucking earned it. Here's the thing about Kelly is that he went into this season, um, and I thought I was happy to give him the two-year extension, but I thought that uh, particularly on the defensive end, like a lot of the stuff that people were talking about with him changing the culture was kind of like more in theory than it was actualized on the basketball court. Like, in theory, Kelly Oubre is this very long, switchable defender, but he had enough defensive lapses last year. Um, and this was even, you know, while the Suns were having their best stretch of the season last year when Kelly Oubre and Tyler Johnson were both playing and they were winning some games against good teams. But even then, Kelly Oubre kind of had enough uh, challenges on defense that I just wasn't sure. Right now, Kelly Oubre is having uh, by far the best stretch of basketball. Uh, in his NBA career. Over the past eight games, he has been an absolute workhorse for Monty Williams. He's averaging 38 minutes per game. Uh, he's shooting 54% from the field, 48% from three, which is going to regress eventually. I'll, I'll tell you right now, he's not going to continue to be that good of a shooter, but that is just amazing. And he's averaging 23 points, nine rebounds, two assists, two steals, and just a tad over half a block per game. He looks like an all-star caliber player. He looks, frankly, and I, I'm so surprised I'm saying this because I never thought I would say this about him, but he looks like a Sean Marion type of player right now for the Suns with what he's doing. That's the level of impact he has for this team right now. Is it sustainable long-term? I think, realistically, the point-per-game total is definitely going to come down once those threes start leveling out more at around 35% and not 45%. Um, but I think a lot of the stuff that he's doing right now is sustainable, and he's been uh, an amazing second option for this offense. And where it leads us to is Kelly Oubre took a massive bet on himself last summer when he signed only a two-year deal. Most people were expecting him to do a four-year deal, maybe around $15 million a year or something like that. He decided to go for two years, much to the surprise of basically uh, all Suns fans. And that's going to set up a situation now where a 25-year-old Kelly Oubre in the summer of 2021 is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Because Kelly Oubre only signed a two-year deal, the Suns will not be able to extend him before free agency. They're going to have to compete with every other team in unrestricted free agency. I do believe they have his bird rights. But other than that, they're going to be in competition with everyone 
for this guy. So if he's playing like a guy who averages, you know, 20 points per game or more and eight rebounds and plays great defense like he has been and proves that he's a consistent shooter, uh, he's going to get paid. He's going to get paid a lot of money. It's important to know that in that year, that free agency year, uh, Giannis is also a free agent. Now, that does, I'm not saying that the Suns should try to sign Giannis. Of course they should. Every team should try to sign Giannis. But every team should try to sign Giannis. <laughs> what that means is every team's going to have cap space. There's going to be a lot of cap space to go around. And as we know, when there's a lot of cap space to go around, a lot of money is given out. Now, that affected Kelly Oubre in a weird negative way this this previous offseason because he was a restricted free agent. But going into that year when he's an unrestricted free agent and everyone has cap space, it almost guarantees that he's going to get paid max money. Is he a max player? Well, it depends on how you feel about him. Like we talked about early in this episode, if he could pass, then absolutely. The fact that he can't, then po- still possibly, right? It depends on his <laughs> level of defense and what he mm-hmm. can do. And, and honestly... The most important thing is that shot. If he can continue shooting, like he's currently averaging around 35%, which is his best uh, percentage of his year. And and these last eight games that you just talked about had a massive effect on that percentage. Forty, What is it, 45% that he was shooting? 48 Sam? over the past eight 48% games. 48% in the last eight it's games. Absurd. That's unsustainable, but is 35% sustainable yeah. or maybe 36 37%. Mm-hmm. If he can get up to 38%, he's a max player for sure, probably, uh, in, in, in that aspect. So, you know, very, very, very impressed with what Kelly Oubre's done so far. And I'm still, like, I think it's important for, for at least me to clarify, and maybe you have a different feeling on this. I still don't fault James Jones on this. I think a lot of it had to do, like, it's really hard to, there was really only, I think, 11 or 12 games where Kelly Oubre showed us what he could be last season in those that stretch where he started. I think he, the Suns were 6-6, six and six, and then he um, injured himself. And it's really difficult to pay a guy a lot of money based on a 12-game sample size of good playing. So I don't fault James Jones for this, but I am disappointed that he's not on the roster for four years <laughs> at yeah. this point. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't fault James Jones at all. He made the right decision. Because, like I was saying, uh, we didn't have the context behind Kelly Oubre. You know, we didn't have the statistical evidence to show that what he was doing was sustainable. Um, but he's had a blow up now in his fifth season, which doesn't always happen. And, you know, I was looking through guys who hit free agency at a similar age to when he's going to hit it um, and what sort of contracts they received. And I think the two um, clearest examples that we can compare him to from recent history Tobias Harris this past summer. Averaged 20 points, 8 rebounds, and 3 assists per game as a 26-year-old. Came off that season, signed a 5-year extension for $180 million. That's a max contract. And uh, the other one, Chris Middleton. Averaged 18 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists as a 27-year-old. Signed for 5 years, $178 million. Um, If Kelly Oubre continues on this sort of path, and I think both of those guys may have been helped a little bit, like... Middleton may have been helped a little bit by playing in the East, so he got a little more exposure and he got to make an all-star team and stuff like that. But honestly, I don't even know if that gave him too much of a boost. I think if Kelly Oubre plays like this for another season and a half, uh, then yeah, you are looking at a guy who could make $30 million a season or more going forward. And I am all for paying players what they're worth. That's not really what's at, uh, to be discussed here. But I think uh, if you're a Suns fan and you're talking about the future, it's always a scary proposition when you finally, after so much, uh, just so much energy has been spent on the rebuild, you finally reach the point of the rebuild where it's time to cash in all of your chips and say, okay, all of these guys are paid. These are the guys I'm committing to. This is my core. Let's see how far they can take us. And so if in a season and a half, the Suns re-sign Kelly Oubre to $30 million, that's it at that point for the rebuild. Your team is Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, and DeAndre Ayton, each of those three guys making like $30 million a year, depending on how the rest of DeAndre Ayton's rookie contract goes. And the rest of your team besides that is going to be veteran minimum type players and rookie contract type deals and maybe a a mid-level exception contract here or there. But that's going to be your core. Um, And however far they can go, that's how far you're going to go. And it's not, it's not super fun to, to talk about this, but I guarantee that James Jones is just sort of looking around and saying, 
wow, we have a guy that's on a relatively good contract that we might not be able to afford in the future if you want to dev- you know, sort of devote that level of cap space to him. And he's probably considering whether or not it would be a good time to capitalize on Kelly Oubre on the trade market. I mean, it's just just something that's the reality of the NBA. They have to look at that at this point. Well, uh, I'm, I don't know that that would happen, but... I don't know that it would happen either, but, you know, I compared him to Sean Marion for a reason. Again, he's a very long way from actually being Sean Marion. Sean Marion was, like, the most underrated player of his generation, I think, and we as Suns fans really appreciated what he did. But if you remember, before Sean Marion got traded for the corpse of Shaquille O'Neal, there were rumors in 2007 about the Suns swapping Marion for Kevin Garnett and kind of the crazy consequences that that could have potentially had um, if that kind of trade could have gone through to send Garnett to the Suns alongside Stoudemire and Nash and what those guys potentially could have done together for a few years. Um, The reason I'm saying this is because if Kelly Oubre kind of gets himself to the point where he is a legitimate reserve all-star who is healthy under good contract status and is still only 25 or 26 years old, that's a real centerpiece for a superstar trade. That is maybe, you know, a, a real type of centerpiece that you could cash in for something slightly bigger if Carl Anthony Towns, you know, actually gets really upset and demands a trade out of Minnesota or something like that. You know, I'm not trying to trade Kelly Oubre, not at all. He's been more impactful than ever before, and so I'm really happy to see him on the Suns right now. I'm just saying you have to give something to get something. Um, and Oubre is arguably playing himself into that tier where he could really kind of be that main chip. That's right. That's right. And I'm sure we're going to talk a lot more about Kelly Oubre in the coming weeks, months, and years. All right. My player of the week is Mikhail Bridges. And joining us to talk about Mikhail Bridges is Gerald Borgay from Fansided. Gerald, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? Great. This is the first time that we've had a special guest for the player of the week segment. So I feel like it's growing into something brand new here. So uh, we're having you on because you just wrote an excellent article about Mikhail Bridges in which you described him as a linchpin, something that um, Monty Williams talked about and DeAndre Ayton talked about. Mikhail Bridges is playing more power forward than he has ever played before. And your article was really great talking about what that means for him, and what that means for the team. Can you talk a little bit about Mikhail Bridges and, and what that article was about today? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of funny because you look at his overall numbers and he's averaging like less than seven points per game. He's shooting under 30% from three. Um, so the, the three aspect of the three and D thing has not really been there, and yet he's still one of this team's most valuable players, um, mainly because of how he functions in the Suns kind of go-to closing lineup now um you know they've got their four best players with rubio booker Ubre, and Aiton out there and then bridges is filling that spot at the four and he's been doing a great job um it's something that i'm not sure he could function in that role as a starter um just because of the physical toll that playing that position full-time takes but um you know when the suns need stops when they need buckets that lineup has been great on both ends and bridges is kind of the uh, you know, as Monty Williams said, he's kind of the glue in that regard. Yeah, we, we've been calling him the glue throughout this season, too. So it's really cool to hear that from Monty. Um, and he got some praise from DeAndre Ayton in your article, too, Gerald. Uh, DeAndre said that he can guard one through five, uh, that he can switch on guys with mismatches, uh, guards and bigs. Um, and he called him a secret weapon. And I think, you know, for a lot of us Suns fans, none of this is surprising. We know that Mikhail Bridges is a, a very good defender, but... Uh, just in your opinion, you threw out some stats and some various lineups that show how effective he's been at the four. Has that surprised you personally at all to see how successful Mikhail Bridges has been operating in that uh, four spot in the rotation? And, you know, going forward, if you're Monty Williams, how do you weigh that with also trying to figure out your other guys in the rotation, like, say, Dario Saric, and whether you want to start him uh, and, and how much you want to play him going forward? Yeah, um, I, I think I'm not too surprised by how effective that he's been at the four. Um, I'm kind of surprised at how effective that lineup has been. You look at the net rating, and obviously 42 minutes isn't a huge sample size, but it's one of their most used lineups, and they've got that plus 37.2 net rating in that span. Um, they're a plus 31 in eight games together. Like Those are significant numbers. Um Going to the rotation thing, I think Monty's got the right idea. He said in postgame uh, on Sunday 
that, you know, last week he kind of had to look himself in the mirror and realize he hasn't done the best job of putting guys in positions to succeed when he's constantly changing the lineups like that. Um, we all know, <laughs> those of us who follow each other on Twitter, we all know how we feel about the Baton lineups. And uh, it's, it's good that those have fallen by the wayside. But he basically said, you know, like, I need to set an established rotation. I need to, you know, get guys in a rhythm together. And that's what he's done, um, especially recently. So I think eventually we're going to get Aiton in the starting lineup over Baines, which will be welcome change. But other than that, I like that he's starting Sharich and then closing with Mikhail Bridges. Um, you look at the lineups he's been starting over the last few weeks, there has, there's been a lot of turnover, and they haven't really played starters minutes. So I, I like that he's open to closing with his best players, even if he's not necessarily starting with them. Gerald, you're you're a lot closer to the team, obviously, than Sam and I. You're you're at practices, you're you're at the games, you're able to talk to them. In fact, you recently posted a very up close video of Mikhail Bridges's jump shot, uh, where you could see a <laughs> pronounced hitch uh, in his jump shot. And I thought one of the interesting parts about your article, you did a great job once again, uh, talking about the fact that his numbers are actually technically down now. And when I say numbers, I mean, of course, the counting stats, the the regular box score stats, he's scoring less uh, than he was even in his rookie year last year. Have you reevaluated what you think Mikhail Bridges's ceiling can be uh, going forward based on the fact that his offense is not quite coming around now? Of course, the defense is there and, and you do a great job of breaking down uh, the stats that Sam and I love to talk about every week with Mikhail Bridges, which is the advanced stats, which show that he does nothing but benefit the team when he's on the floor. Uh, but I think a lot of Suns fans, we watched his rookie year last year, and we said, wow, is this a steal? If this guy can develop his offense, if he can develop his off-dribble game, then maybe he's more than we expected him to be, which is just a three-point shooter. Now that he's sort of not really a three-point shooter, even though he's getting a little better, have you reevaluated what you think he can be? A little bit, yeah. And it's kind of alarming, but also reassuring in reevaluating what his ceiling is. Obviously, the three-point shooting thing, it's worrisome. Um, you know, Kellen added a little more context to his tweet in his video of Mikhail Bridges' shot. Um, this has been a process, and that's not how he shoots during games. There is a slight hitch on his shot during games, um, but this is something that, they've been working on with him to kind of, um, I guess, systemically, systematically get that hitch out of his shot. Um, I went through and watched every single three he's taken this season today to make sure I wasn't missing anything. And while there is a hitch on some of his shots, a lot of them, especially the ones that go down, it's a smooth release, just not as smooth as we were used to seeing from his time in college. Um, So that's still worrisome, and that's something that he's definitely going to need to figure out I think that's something that that, you know, that double gather thing that he was doing in the video I posted is something that is a practice shot, but not necessarily what he actually shoots like. Um, But yeah, you look at the other areas of his game, being able to make plays off the dribble, um, you know, actually attacking the basket and being able to elevate. And, you know, he hasn't landed any of those yet, but he's not (laughs) in Josh Jackson territory of missing every dunk he attempts. So that's good news, at least. Um, but he, he's making plays off the dribble. He's still shooting about 50% from the field despite his three-point woes. So in one sense, it's kind of reassuring to see him um, you know, thrive as a slasher, thrive attacking poor closeouts on the perimeter, um, you know, doing little things that don't necessarily show up in the box score. Obviously, that three-point shooting is, has kind of lowered his ceiling a little bit in my eyes on the offensive end. Um, but defensively, he's living up to the billing and he's starting to do a lot of other things that have kind of uh, compensated for that three-point shooting. Yeah, I mean, the thing that's impressed me all season long that I've mentioned on the pod before is the cutting game that's really good. And and you mentioned the slashing as well. And you mentioned in your article that he's working specifically with assistant coaches uh, Darko Ryakovic and, and Larry Greer um, on sort of developing those other areas of his game. One of the critical things that I wanted him to develop going into this season was driving a little bit more often per game, and we are seeing that from him. But the cutting is something that I didn't expect. I mean, that aspect of his uh, repertoire really exploded 
and, and to the point where he's cutting multiple times per game, um, and he's scoring 1.5 points per possession on cuts right now, which is 85th percentile in the NBA uh, in efficiency, those stats being from Synergy. Just, you know, as a reference, Frank Kaminsky is 14th percentile, no surprise there. But even Kelly Oubre is 31st percentile. Uh, Dario Saric is 32nd percentile. So Mikhail has really found some ways where he can kind of flourish in this offense. And especially when he develops those aspects of his game, uh, a playmaker like Ricky Rubio is going to be able to find him or even Devin Booker as well. Um, But going back kind of to the original point of this conversation, I guess, it feels like the difference between Mikhail Bridges going forward being a 30% three-point shooter or a 35 to 40% three-point shooter is kind of the breaking point on his offensive ceiling. If we're talking about him being a long-term sustainable starting option um, next to Kelly Oubre on this team, you know, because realistically with the way Kelly Oubre is playing right now, uh, Mikhail really needs to kind of fit next to him in that scheme and I think he does in these short spurts where we've seen these lineups with really good net ratings but you want to see the potential there for the two of them to actually start next to each other because if we're not so confident that Mikhail can do that as unfortunate as it is for us Suns fans you know that maybe makes Mikhail a really valuable trade asset going forward for the Suns if they want to actually go out and, and try and acquire some interesting piece. Right, and and pardon the pun, but that is the gap that they're going to have to bridge at some point is figuring <laughs> out whether he own it. I like yeah, it. <laughs> I, I had to I had to set it up first, but um, <laughs> no, you, you have to figure out whether he is that long term piece at the four because you don't want a key piece who's going to have to get paid eventually to be a sixth man slash closer. I mean that works out well for some championship caliber teams, but. The Suns are nowhere near that level yet, and they need Bridges to be an intrinsic part of you know a formula that's successful for them, that gets them back to the playoffs, that makes them relevant in the playoff picture. Because you know, even if they make the playoffs this year, they're sneaking in as the eight seed. They're you know serving as first round fodder. It's a good learning experience, but it's nothing serious for them to get to that place where they're a serious, competitive, you know, championship caliber team. They need either Bridges to be turned into something more useful that fits with the group, or they need him to reach his ceiling as far as that three-point shooting is concerned, as far as being able to not only play extensive minutes at the four, but start next to Kelly Oubre. Um, And I think we're starting to see flashes of it with how successful this lineup is, but like you alluded to earlier, there's a difference between you know closing out games with a lineup that teams don't see as often versus, you know, owning that job full time. So it'll be interesting to see how this continues to develop because he, you know, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, those are the core guys keeping Kelly Oubre. That's going to be super important, especially with the way that he's playing himself beyond his contract value now. But Bridges is kind of, in my eyes, the make or break piece that if they can't get him to where he needs to be or they can't trade him for someone that fills a lot of those same needs, this rebuild is only going to go so far in my eyes. Yeah, that that's really interesting. And I thought, you know, that, that you touched on the fact that it would be difficult for him uh, to be a long-term starter. Is that something that you think that as he sort of develops and as he gets stronger, I think a big, a big problem with Mikhail Bridges and his future at, at the four, if he were to be a starter, he's just really skinny. He's not, he's not like an overly strong guy. He needs to really bulk up. Is that something that you think is sustainable? Do you think it's possible for him to really bulk up and become a, a power forward that can start at that position? Or is that just something that you don't think he can handle with the frame uh, that he has currently? I, I think it's possible just because he has the absurd length to compensate, even if right. he's never like a bulky guy or a strong guy. I think he'd be able to put on the requisite muscle, um, you know, lower body strength to hold his own there because you know you look at the league teams that go small typically have success if they have the right pieces I think Mikel could be that right piece as long as he figures out the three-point shooting thing um just because his length is absurd like (laughs) his, his wingspan is incredible how high he can get just with his those long arms of his it really does make a difference like he's held his own against fives in in very limited time or limited possessions but when the Suns need a stop, and even in the post, you look at what he's able to do out of those situations, and it's pretty impressive. So I, I think he can get there. He's obviously not there yet, 
um, which is where my concern stems for now as far as, you know, whether the Suns would want to start him there now. I would have some concerns over that. But, you know, he's already good enough to hold his own against other teams' closing lineups, which are also small. So I think in time he could definitely develop into that. He just has to get stronger and, and like we've talked about, figure out that, that shooting stroke of his. And with or without the shooting stroke, guys, you know, every once in a while, it seems to be every few games or so, but he'll show you a flash of just something amazing offensively. And usually it starts with him getting a defensive stop, like Gerald was talking about, and turning that defense into offense. You know, a couple games ago against the Magic, uh, I remember he got this stop. I don't remember which player, but he got the steal and then went for a Euro step coast to coast, uh, taking taking someone off the dribble again. I don't remember who it was, but it's like when you see that from Mikhail Bridges, it makes you fantasize about this kind of uh, tantalizing potential. But we'll see. We'll see if he meets it. Yeah, he like grabbed the ball like as it was going out of bounds, like threw it behind the back. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and then he like Euro stepped from the three point line. I was like, where was that? Where did that come from? Well, everyone, make sure to go check out Gerald's article about Mikhail Bridges and of course follow him on Twitter. Uh, Gerald, you do a really great job of covering the Suns. So thank you for everything you're doing and thank you uh, for joining us for this Player of the Week segment. Yes, appreciate you guys having me and appreciate the praise. It's very nice of you. <laughs> All right, big thanks again to Gerald Bourget for joining us. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. I'm sure you already do. And read his articles on Fansighted. He covers the team very well. An excellent Twitter follow. He posts a lot of great clips and a lot of interesting uh, quotes from the people that he talks to in and around the team. Coming up, three road games this week. Tomorrow, well, today for most of you, Atlanta. Uh, and then the Knicks on Thursday and Boston on Saturday. These are all road games The Suns will be on a three-game road trip, then they're back for one game, and then they leave again. Uh, Atlanta currently has the worst record in the NBA, and they have some guys that are injured. But Devin Booker appears to be sick. Now, Devin Booker had technically the second worst scoring game of his career in a game that he plays more than 35 minutes. Uh, In the last game, I think he scored 11 points. Not quite what you expect out of Devin Booker. It was odd when it happened. They were trapping him, but he's been beating traps lately. That seems to not matter as much in in the recent weeks. Uh, And then after the game, he was in a post-game interview, and he just sounded like shit. (laughs) He just sounded like a guy who possibly has the flu. Yeah, shades of K-Ray last year in that one game. Remember that? (laughs) Yeah, fascinating, though. With all of that, he was still a plus 14 in that game, and I think that's the type of thing where he understands the effect that he has on the game. And maybe he could still be effective. I think Atlanta, you can still beat Atlanta with a sick Devin well, Booker yeah, let, if everyone else plays well. Let me read the injury report. Do you want, you know, did you actually yeah. read the, the injury report for I Atlanta? Did. It's mm-hmm. DeAndre Hunter is questionable. Trey Young is questionable. Alex Len is doubtful. Bruno Fernando is out. Jabari Parker is out. Um, the big one there, obviously, is Trey Young. But if Trey Young doesn't play, I don't care how bad the Suns have been without Devin Booker. You really should win this game. The the Atlanta Hawks yeah. are the worst team in the NBA. Yeah, and 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 it's also uh, also I should mention Ricky Rubio. We should have talked about this up top. Actually, Ricky Rubio is expecting his first child either today or or tomorrow. From what I from what I know, he's likely going to miss that Atlanta game and possibly be back by uh, Thursday with the Knicks. So congratulations to Ricky Rubio. Uh, on your child. I can't wait to see pictures and find out the name of that child, but no Ricky Rubio in that game, and I think that sort of lines up nicely (laughs) schedule-wise. If you're going to miss Ricky Rubio in one game, Atlanta's the team that you want to play, literally, if you had to choose a single team, especially without Trey Young. So, uh, you know, no, no, potentially no Ricky Rubio, sick Devin Booker, but no Trey Young. DeAndre Hunter, I'm not I'm not sure DeAndre Hunter is like a plus player anyway, no, so not. it doesn't really matter if he's playing. Um, but uh, yeah, that would be nice. And Oops. Oh, that's going to reverberate in everyone's ears. Sorry about that. The next game is the Knicks on Thursday. Now, Sam, you're around the Knicks fans. They're playing okay. Right? Not as many anymore. Um, they, they are playing okay. Um, people up here, actually, in, in the part of New York State where I am now, just kind of aren't basketball fans in general. Like, you right, ask them what's cold. their favorite basketball team, and they'll say Syracuse, which is disgusting. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, the Knicks have been a little bit better as of late. Um, the Suns were able to beat the Knicks, deploying that Aiton Baines lineup, though. So I have some faith yeah. 
I have some faith that they can pull out another one here. Yeah, that'll be interesting. And I think, you know, uh, well, we don't have to stick on that too long. Let's just move on to the Boston game. The Boston game, I think, is kind of interesting. 2-13 and 13 against teams over 500. We, we've been talking about this. Uh, Devin Booker plays well in Boston. That's like the thing that he does. Um, there was this one time, I don't know if you knew about it, Sam. He had 70 points. He was only 20 years old. And that was in Boston. It's the most points ever scored by what? a single player in that arena. Yeah, it's crazy. I know people don't even talk about it. Did he win? Uh, it doesn't matter. So <laughs> they're playing in Boston on Saturday um, at 5 p.m., which is nice, a relatively early Saturday game. So if you got plans Saturday night, you can still make them. That's going to be an interesting game. They're very good. They're playing very well. They've struggled a little bit lately. Uh, Jason Tatum, even though he had a great game um, in the last game, I'm not sure if they played tonight, but the previous game before tonight, uh, I think he was only averaging like 15 points in the previous like 10 games before that. So they're struggling a little bit in some ways, but they're so deep that it really doesn't matter. And for the Suns to win that game, you need that sort of virtuoso Devin Booker performance and you need everyone else to play well. So you talked about it. If things click for more than just Devin Booker and maybe one other player, which has been Kelly Oubre lately, if if one other person steps up, Ricky Rubio has 18 points or, or you know, uh, Aaron Baines hits three threes, that type of thing needs to happen for them to win that game. If we had to predict, I'm guessing we both would say two and one, hopefully. Yeah, two and one. Uh, it would be nice for Ricky to kind of get it together a little bit. <laughs> you know, not that he's been bad or anything. He's still been... Uh, had a massive impact on this team this season, but he hasn't had an efficient offensive performance from a scoring perspective in a few weeks. <laughs> so it would be nice if uh, the Boston game, he could wake up a little bit, you know, like you said, 18 points from Ricky, something like that would be great. A, a few too many bricked layups have made me uncomfortable <laughs> from Ricky in the past couple of weeks. That being said, uh, congratulations to Ricky on the birth of his first child. Um, mm-hmm. That's, that's really an amazing thing. Yep, Ricky, and I assume his beautiful wife. I've I've never seen her, but she's probably gorgeous. <laughs> uh, he's a he's I a handsome imagine. millionaire. So, uh, thirteen out of the next nineteen games are on the road. So the Suns had a, a brief, easy stretch of their schedule recently, and sweet, they're going on the road. A sweet a lot. taste of what it's like to be an Eastern Conference team, but alas, <laughs> the NBA schedule makers had to uh, bring us back to reality, and now it's going to get a little bit harder again after this New York game. That's right. And we'll be back after that Boston game. We'll probably record on Sunday uh, next week. And uh, it'll be more than half of the season will have passed at that point. So we'll have some interesting things to talk about at that point. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thanks again to Gerald Bourget for joining us in this Player of the Week segment. I believe Clemson is plus 180 on the money line. I may have taken a little bit of action on that. Um, But I'm taking LSU minus five and a half for the mortgage. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.